Hello, Duncan Green here with the weekly roundup of From Poverty to Power blog posts. Um, Monday, we had the usual links I liked. It was my turn this, this week. Um, and uh, I did a few self-serving links to the new MOOC. Uh, we, we, we designed an online, a free online course for activists called Make Change Happen. Uh, which went live last year and is now just uh, in its second week of a third loop. And uh, there's a few hundred activists on there um, and uh, having really interesting conversations and sort of learning about power analysis and stakeholder mapping and campaign design and all the rest of it. And so I was urging people to go and take a look at that and sign up. It's free after all. Um, we also had a nice media hit um, in, the, uh, in that The Observer, a big newspaper in the UK, uh, had on its front page a uh, piece which partly drew on our post about visas. So the British government, uh, for some reason at the moment, is refusing or just being completely rubbish uh, uh, doing visas for researchers, especially African researchers. Um, they said, you know, uh, vague sort of objections in terms of. Uh, uh, whether they'll overstay and all the rest of it, but basically it seems they're a bit rubbish and they don't trust Africans. And what that means is we've got piles of researchers trying to come to events and conferences and failing to get in. And so don't you can't really t tell me that we're serious about global Britain and soft power and all the rest of it if we're not even allowing researchers to come and discuss things in Britain. So the Observer carried that on the front page and we're very happy and we really hope that the government sorts it out. Um, Final thing on the on links I liked was a yeah, there's a wonderful geek site called Our World in Data, which just seems to be getting better and better, and they have a sort of animated graph of the distribution of ages in the world between 1950 and the present, and then projected on out to 2100, and you can click and watch it change over time. And the point that Our World in Data was making with this particular set of um, graphs was that. We're now in a situation where people over 65 are more in number than people under five. So the wrinklies have overtaken the kids um, and are taking over the world. And uh, just quite an interesting sort of graphic demonstration of a massive demographic shift. On Tuesday, I had a little sort of um, reflection on a book I, I got about halfway through a while ago and suddenly thought about again. Daniel Kahneman, who uh, wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which was about how our brains work and how they don't work in the way that we often assume. Kahneman has this uh, division of, into two systems in the mind, an automatic system and a sort of deliberative system. So the automatic system is one where you just instantly respond. You've got a set of um, priors, of prejudices, of you know, uh, uh, sudden judgments, which is actually how you get through the day. Because if you actually go back and say, OK, I'm going to get all the data and work it out and try and decide what the right thing to do is, it takes huge mental effort. And you only do that really when you need to. So what Kahneman says is that there's this um, interplay, interaction between system one and system two. Uh, we need to be aware of how that interaction plays out in practice. Now, that all sounds very interesting in terms of psychology, but I started wondering whether it might be useful for strategic planning. Oxfam's going into a phase of strategic planning. All NGOs seem to spend inordinate amount of time um, on their strategic planning. Um, and I worry that strategic planning is an entirely system to deliberate process which kind of you know, gets all the data and does all the trends and has a big, long conversation to try and work out what we should be doing for the next five years. 
And then in practice, people then flip back into system one instant rules of thumb for how they make most of their decisions. And so the article is saying, well, we need to, we need to have an equivalent to that interaction between system one and system two in strategic planning. Um, and I think the place where that should happen is somewhere around those rules of thumb. So, you know, I, the U.S. Marines, Ben Ramalingham in his book, Aid on the Edge of Chaos, talks about the U.S. Marines when they, um, when, when they go into battle, have a sort of set of basic rules of thumb, take the high ground, stay in communication, keep moving, um, and then try and reestablish link with the command and get back onto the, you know, whatever the battle plan is. And I just wonder what Oxfam's strategic rules of thumb are and what other organizations' rules of thumb are. I suppose mine would be, you know, redistribute power and wealth, find the feminist angle on any given issue, make sure it can be funded because without funds you can't do it, and make sure it's what local partners want, make sure you're not imposing something from outside. But those are mine. We don't ever write them down. So I think the argument there is that um, we should make those rules of thumb explicit. We should compare them to see if we're all working to different ones. And then we should think about the link between those rules of thumb and whatever we're doing in the strategic plan. Now, Kahneman doesn't really apply this thinking to organizations. He's talking very much about individual psychology. But lots of the people in comments uh, on this post came in with really good links. And I think it's a conversation which needs to go on. So have a look at the comments and the links and the ideas and, and join in and we'll see if it helps. On Wednesday, we have one of our power shifts posts, um, which is a really nice one on the power of maps. Maps are really interesting political things in that they show where people are, where activities are taking place. They overcome invisibility, uh, political invisibility. Um, and uh, this particular post is on a, a piece of work by an organization called Digital Democracy, which worked with the Warani people in Ecuador. Um, doing participatory mapping, so going around by canoes, um, you know, sitting down with communities and saying, what do you use the rainforest for? Because the Ecuadorian government has just given millions of hectares away in terms of, for oil concessions. And on the basis of these, these maps, which they drew up in good fancy digital form, they took, a, took the Ecuadorian government to court and won, saying that the consultation process that led to the awards of all these big blocks of land had not been done properly. So really interesting use of mapping and tech in a sort of bottom-up participatory way to reverse uh, a wrongdoing. So nice, nice piece, that one. Then on Thursday, um, I reviewed a book which has been making quite a few ways. Lots of people have told me to read it, so I finally got hold of a copy. Um, and it's by Anand Giridharadas, and it's called Winner Takes All. And it's a really well-written rant. It's a polemic. Um, and the polemic is against the billionaire model of philanthropy. Um, Girindarandas has, has, has got this uh, idea, which I think is really very powerful, called market world. And he says that the, you know, the, the, the billionaire philanthropy, the social enterprises, the impact investors, all these people are looking for market-driven solutions, share certain principles in common. He calls it a culture and a state of mind that aid has to be redesigned around in order to be to conform with the with market world and in market world you only ever talk about win-wins okay you never talk about win-loses no one has to surrender power or wealth everything is just a groovy app or a better um, solution uh, it's it, it's a deeply influenced by what he calls California capitalism you know the tech giants 
the, uh, the IT solution to everything. I can put my camel on the internet and make more money and everything's great. We've been hearing that from people for years. It's the TED Talk world where everything can be boiled down to some funky ideas, a few graphics, everybody goes away feeling good about themselves. Um, he talks about the role of intellectuals and management consultants in sort of uh, buttressing this world and in strengthening it and providing the intellectual foundation for it. Um, he's ex-McKinsey's and he doesn't have a lot of time for the management consultants who he thinks are a, a bunch of, of snake oil salesmen. Um, so it's a great polemic and a great takedown, but I did have one complaint, which is he's very nuanced when he's interviewing. He's, a re he's one of those journalists who can really get under the skin of the people he's talking to, spend time with them, see the kind of dilemmas and the trade-offs and really empathize. And he, he writes beautifully about some of the people who are in this market world, but don't feel good about it. But then when, when they leave and he's alone on the page, he seems to be much cruder and not so clear. He doesn't, he's not at all clear what he wants. Um, and uh, that's frustrating because I wanted, after the takedown, I always like to see some suggestions for what should happen instead. And this is just a takedown, really. Um, however, uh, it's a great book and it's a great polemic and I think it's going to have quite a big impact. And there we stop. I didn't post anything uh, on Friday, partly because I'm getting ready for a trip. I'm in Washington next week and in Bolivia the week after. So there will doubtless be blog posts and stuff coming out of those. But have a good weekend, and I'll, I may miss out this roundup next week if I'm too jet-lagged or too busy otherwise, uh, and I may talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye.